Okay. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate everybody coming out this morning. I know that the weather probably did keep quite a few out, but we are grateful to be able to worship. Sorry for the schedule change as well, but we felt as though it was best for us to start a little bit later and give some of the uh, ice a chance to melt this morning. So uh, it's good to have everyone with us. I, I had uh, Maria read to you earlier from Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be in that passage in just a little bit. So if you want, you can go ahead and turn there. But as she was reading, the thought went through my mind. I'm sure most of you know what a Napoleon complex is. That's where an individual who is not very tall, they're vertically challenged, I guess would be a good way for, to put it. Um, they feel like they have to make up for their shortness. Uh, so often they, they think everybody is noticing their height or their lack of height. And I wonder how Zacchaeus would feel today to know that 2,000 years later people are still, I remember as kids we do the Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I wonder how he would feel to know the kids refer to him in that way. So uh, just a humorous way of looking at some of this. But anyways... It's good to have you uh, back this week as we continue in a series dealing with the big butts of the Bible. And of course, the focus is not the rear ends, but rather it is the, the transformation that God allows to take place. An individual was on a path, and this path was not healthy. It was a, a path of defeat. And Jesus intervenes, and all of a sudden, everything changes. I once was blind. But now I see. That's what we talked about last week. Often these but stories include people who have exhausted all other potential resources. People like Jairus, whose daughter actually dies but was brought back to life by Jesus. For others, this would have been a chance encounter where Jesus simply was passing by and he touches someone just like he did last week when the disciples asked, why was this man born? Was it, why was this man born blind? Because of his sin or the sin of his parents? Jesus coming by actually was able to touch him. Still others would have been passionately pursuing him sacrificially going out of the way to get to Jesus, like the paralyzed man whose four friends brought him to Jesus, or the woman who had the continuous issue of blood who risked everything by squeezing into a crowd of people and touching the hem of his garment. Whether you come to him out of desperation or by chance, I want you to know that God has a but story that is for you. Whatever your past has looked like, regardless of how many times you failed, no matter how bad of an individual you have been, God has a plan for your life. He wants to intervene and he wants to put you on a new path. Last week, the story was of a blind man. There are multiple gospels that tell of blind men being healed by Jesus. Each are different, but the same. And what I mean by that is that Jesus heals them in different ways. But at the end of the day, each man can say, I once was blind, but now I see. Today, I want to jump into a uh, familiar text, one that perhaps you have heard at some point or another, Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to start at the end today. We always start at verse 1. We're going to start at verse 10 today. For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save those who are lost. By the way, you guys know sometimes I read from the NIV, sometimes New Living Translation, sometimes the ESV, it varies. Today, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is one I read for myself, mostly because it's easier for me to understand. I call it the Bible for dummies. It's not a reflection of you, it's a reflection of me. Uh, so in Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, this is an incredibly well-known verse. It may be that you've heard this verse before. It may be that you have heard the story that this verse is from. But the odds are also very high that you've probably never connected the two together because usually we handle them separately but they actually fit very well together. Now let's go back to verse 1, keeping in mind that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Look back in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I will say that the children's song doesn't tell the whole story. It does talk about Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And it, it talks about his physical stature, but it also does talk about his desire to see Jesus. He wanted so bad to see him, and he couldn't, so he climbs up in a sycamore tree to see because the Lord, he wanted to see. You guys remember the story. I'm not asking y'all to get up and sing it or anything like that, but y'all remember the story from when you were a kid. But that song does not, that song does not get into the character of this particular man. We can gather a lot about his character just from this passage, though. We know that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, and the word chief here means something. In previous messages, you've heard me talk about tax collectors, how despised they were in their society. They were basically extortionists. They ripped people off for the sake of ripping people off. You could always tell when a tax collector was lying to you because his lips were moving. This says Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He was a crook. He was a thief. Basically, think of a Ponzi scheme in today's society. He was very rich. He was powerful. Tax collectors worked for the Roman government. They would collect funds, yet they were often Jewish by birth. They were seen as traitors by their own people because the very same people they were stealing from were their neighbors and sometimes even family. Anything you could extort above what you were collecting for the government was yours to keep. Your job was to extort as much as you could and then pay a percentage to the guy at the top. The guy at the top, that's Zacchaeus. He was basically the Bernie Madoff of that generation. Remember the lyrics to the song again, referring to his height. In every way possible. This man, Zacchaeus, was a wee little man. Not just talking about his physical stature, but even the way he was perceived in the community. What Zacchaeus is doing is completely legal in their culture, but it is also completely sinful. Something can be acceptable in the eyes of the government, but unacceptable in the eyes of God. And this is where I think a lot of 
quote-unquote religious people live. I want to illustrate it for you with children for a moment. As many of you know, I have an eight-year-old son, Michael. He is amazing, but he's also eight. (laughs) And you guys know what that means. Let's say you have an eight-year-old. Of course, not Michael, because he is so amazing. Um, They're throwing a fit. They are dishonoring their parents. They're disobeying scripture. You know where it says, you shall honor your mother and father so that your days on earth may be long. That is a command that God gives. As a parent, in those moments, you can't pick up the phone and call 911. Hello, 911, my, my child is disobeying me. He is breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Did you just, he just called me a booger. Would you come and tase him real quick? The police aren't coming. You know why? First of all, it's not an emergency. The police aren't coming because this is not illegal. But it is sinful. See, the reality is the government has defined what is okay for us to do. And if we merely live up to the governmental standards, then we do not necessarily live up to God's standard. God never called us to live up to just what the government expects. We can justify what is sinful because it is not illegal. In the U.S., all kinds of things are legal, but not sinful. Gossip is not illegal, but it is sinful. Coveting is not illegal, but it is sinful. Adultery is not illegal, but it is sinful. Pornography is not illegal, but it is sinful. Our morality must go beyond the law of man, and it must be based on the law of God. God is about to deal with Zacchaeus in a very powerful way. You see, Zacchaeus was a man who was living according to the law of the land, but not the law of God. God has never called us to live beneath the law of God. The passage tells us that he tries to get a look at Jesus. He doesn't really expect a whole lot, at least not according to what we're told. He just wants to be able to see him. Zacchaeus has a spiritual curiosity about him. Most of the characters in the Bible experience a call from Christ personally, or they had heard about the preaching of Jesus. Some came to him for healing from some sort of affliction, but Zacchaeus is a little bit different here. He is a successful businessman. He has worked hard to move up the ladder. He had made it to the top. He is now the boss. He had everything and was incredibly wealthy. He doesn't have any observable needs. You know, there are some individuals you look at and think, well, they just need Jesus. You'd look at this guy and you'd think, man, he's got it all together. He doesn't need anything. Yet he is still curious about Jesus. And I wonder why. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 10 through 11 says, I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. 
As we look at Zacchaeus, he seems to have everything he could ever want, but there is still something missing in his heart. There is still a sense of emptiness, and only God can fill the void that is present. There is a spiritual longing in every heart. Some fight it, some will ignore it, some will deny it. But the truth is we are all spiritual beings. No amount of worldly success in this life can ultimately satisfy our longing to know God. Zacchaeus had a spiritual longing to see Jesus. But he really was also short in stature. He couldn't see over people's heads, and he wasn't exactly Mr. Popularity where the people would make room for him or someone would give him a boost. They didn't like him. Would you like him? He's the one who's been stealing your money. He's the one who's been taking from you what you knew he didn't deserve. So Zacchaeus made a decision that set in motion a series of events that would change his life forever. This was the path he was on, but God intervenes. Luke 19, verse 4 says, So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. I want you to notice here, Zacchaeus seizes a divine opportunity. This doesn't seem like a big deal, but what he did is mind-blowing when you think about it. Zacchaeus had everything going well externally, but internally his life is a wreck. He would have heard stories of Jesus' miracles, how he had healed the sick, cast out demons, even raised individuals from the dead. Perhaps he had heard how a blind man named Bartimaeus had been healed by Jesus earlier that very same day. These were miracles that were happening in his community to people he had actually been overtaxing. Zacchaeus had everything you could want in life, yet he had a sense that something was still missing. All this excitement that they've got, I don't got it. I don't have the same thing that they do. This sense was so great that he had to do something extreme, something crazy. He does two things that he probably shouldn't do, that no man, even in our day, for that matter, would really want to be seen doing most of the time. First thing is this, Zacchaeus runs. A man of stature, well standing in the community, would never run. It was seen as demeaning. Even today, an individual might run, but they don't want to be seen while they're running. I've heard it said that people don't run in public unless they want to get fit, they stole something, or they're being chased by a dog. Those are the three exceptions to this clause. You can run but you rarely see a guy in a suit running. Several years ago, I was with a group that had taken a trip to Haiti, and we were on our way back. We took off from Port-au-Prince late. It's not unusual when you're in Haiti to be late. But the result was that we landed in Miami much later than we were supposed to, and we already had a short connection time to be able to get to our next flight. Add to that, we had to go through customs, which is never quick. By the time we got through customs, they had called our gate number and said it was the final boarding call. We had less than 10 minutes to get to our next gate. Please note that the Miami airport is not a small airport. 
that day in the Miami airport, our four-member team ran. We threw aside our reputation, what people thought, and we hustled through the airport with our backpacks on, carrying our suitcases. Actually, I was dragging mine as it was rolling, and me and my, they're they're called sliders. They're basically flip-flops. They're sandals. We got to the gate, but we were too late. We ended up having to spend the night in the Miami airport, and I got so tired of hearing the mayor of Miami with his announcement about welcome to the Miami airport. We caught another flight the next morning. Know that I love sports, but it's very different when you're running because you have to do it. When you finally reach your destination, or in our case, realize you're not going to reach your destination, you stop and you take a breath, or a lot of breaths. And then realize how silly you probably looked running through the airport. The point is, I was that guy, but I didn't really care at all. I wanted to make my flight. And when you really want something bad enough, you really don't care what other people think about you in that process. You know you need to do whatever you need to do. That is Zacchaeus in our story. Jesus is coming and Zacchaeus' soul is crying out. He wants to see Jesus, but he can't. So he sets aside his pride seizes a divine opportunity, and he runs to get to that tree. Which leads to the second thing that Zacchaeus does that often is not good for adult males. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. (laughs) Here we have this rich and powerful little man. When I read this story, I can't help it. I I think of Danny DeVito. Any of you guys remember who Danny DeVito is, the actor Uh, climbing a tree, and though that is a powerful thought, this is something that is far more amazing what happens with Zacchaeus. Something no respectful businessman would ever do, climb a tree in a suit. The longing in his heart has far surpassed any internal need to save face or to protect his reputation. Maybe he thought to himself, I'll climb this tree. Everybody's got their eyes on Jesus. They won't even know that I'm here. And then, of course, Jesus stops right under the tree. (laughs) I wonder for a minute, who is your Zacchaeus? Think about the people working and living around you today. From every outward appearance, they have it together. But if you could rip off the veneer, look into their hearts, you would find that most folks are actually pretty empty. They're longing for something that they don't have. They have looked to this world for satisfaction and they've come up empty, many of them broken. They are longing for something, but they don't know what it is that they need. How could you be a part of their divine opportunity? It might introduce them to Jesus and change their life forever. What if, you know, we're looking at all these but God stories where God intervenes in an individual's life. What if you got to be a part of the but God story for someone else? What if you could look at their brokenness and introduce them to the one thing that could make them whole? What if you could look at their emptiness and tell them that the Holy Spirit desires to live in you? What if you got to be a part of their but God story? Remember the challenge that I gave to you at the beginning of 2020. What if each one of us reached one individual for Jesus Christ over the course of the next year? 
Maybe you could help move someone from emptiness to overflowing. Zacchaeus experienced a divine call that day. Luke 19 verse 5 says, When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Jesus calls Zacchaeus out. This encounter, one of the most interesting, in my opinion, in the Gospels because of its great application to the majority of people. George Matheson, a Scottish scholar, describes this paradox as uniquely common. Zacchaeus is spectacular because he's not like other people whose stories we read who encounter Jesus. He was not called like the first disciples. He wasn't suffering from some sort of affliction, so he wasn't seeking Jesus for divine healing. What makes him so special is he was just average. He's an average guy. His life was a huge mess, but he's just an average, ordinary guy. This story shouts the message from the rooftops that the gospel is available to average people just like you and me. It's not something that's uniquely gifted to only an elite few. Jesus looks right at Zacchaeus and Jesus calls him by name. In other words, Jesus makes this call very personal. Side note, in a time when names mattered, it said something usually about who you were, the name Zacchaeus actually means pure. Talk about not living up to your name. But it is that name that Jesus calls him by. It's like calling Charlie Sheen the sober one. His character betrays his name, but Jesus still chooses to call him by name, effectively declaring something about Zacchaeus. Jesus is always calling people out by name. He knows all of your sins. He knows all of your failures. But he also knows your name. He knows every day of your life before you even live it. He knows every hair on your head. He collects all of your tears basically in a bottle. And he is calling you personally. Because to Jesus, this is very personal. Do you ever feel insignificant? Like maybe God doesn't even care what happens in your life. Then he calls you by name, because to you this is very personal. Jesus says, I must come to your house today. This shows us something about Jesus Christ and something about the love of God that is absolutely profound in our theology. We believe in something called provenient grace. Pre meaning, obviously, before. Provenient grace is the grace that goes before. So even before we respond to the goodness of God, even before we accept his gift of salvation, his grace is being extended to us before. It's what Jesus does for a lost and broken world. He makes the first move in reaching out to the lost. He is not a theological position that we adhere to. He is a personal God who loves us dearly. Listen, God began looking for Zacchaeus long before Zacchaeus started looking for God. In fact, it may have seemed random to Zacchaeus that he ends up along the path that Jesus took that day, but Jesus longed for this encounter. 
It's much like the woman at the well. When Jesus finds her, Jesus had told his disciples, we must go through Samaria. He never gives a reason as to why, but we must go through Samaria. The only major encounter that happens in Samaria is with the woman at the well, who then goes and tells the other Samaritans about this man that she has found who knows everything about me, and he is the Messiah. And many Samaritans came and believed. Jesus knew who he was going to have contact with. There was nothing random with the woman at the well, and there was nothing random with Zacchaeus. Side note here, what is the role of the church in all of this? Is God still using us to bring healing and wholeness to people who are empty like Zacchaeus? There's a pastor, his name is Bruxy Cavey. He is the pastor at the Meeting House Church. It's one of the largest Christian churches in Canada. And he gives a beautiful picture of the church's role in redemption. He said that he wants the church to be the tree that lost people can come and sit in. In order to help them see Jesus more clearly. If you are here, if you are searching, I want you to know that we are glad that you are here and searching. You are no different than Zacchaeus. You are loved by God, and he has a desire for you to have that but God moment. Zacchaeus did experience a divine call that day, but he also experienced a divine conversion. Luke 19, verse 6 says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Something forever shifted in Zacchaeus that day. He took Jesus to his house, literally took him into his house. He received him. Received is a big word here. Beyond just receiving Jesus as a house guest, he was receiving the lordship of Jesus in his life. And naturally, unrestrained joy is the appropriate response. This Zacchaeus who came into the day as one who felt empty and incomplete suddenly is filled with so much joy that he cannot contain himself. Unrestrained joy is a great response to the outpouring of God's grace in Jesus Christ. When we realize that we in no way deserve grace, but that there is no expectation that we earn it, and that God is offering it to us freely, if we will just repent and turn our lives over to him and follow him, it changes everything. Here's where this week's real but God statement comes into play. It's interesting because in Luke 19, verse 7 and 8, it actually doesn't say but God, but it's telling the but God story. But the people were displeased. Oh, why would they be displeased with this? It says, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. We see two but issues that are in play here. The two responses are first of Zacchaeus and then also of the crowd. 
Jesus says to Zacchaeus, come down right now. I want to share a meal with you. I've been seeking you out. I want to heal you. Zacchaeus jumps down from the tree ready to follow. His response is to lean into grace, to accept this thing that Jesus was offering to him. But the crowd is not quite as joyful. They're angry. They're skeptical. They think that he is undeserving. They're not leaning into grace, but rather they're holding back grace. They aren't talking to Zacchaeus, but rather they're grumbling to each other about him. Unfortunately, this is all too common. Whenever God pours his grace out, it's easy to find ourselves grumbling. So I want you to ask yourself this question. When I do grumble, where do I grumble when God pours out grace? You ever looked at someone else and thought, you know what, that's a good guy, and man, he deserves the grace of God. I know he's made some mistakes. God's grace is sufficient. But have you ever looked at somebody else and thought to yourself, I hope they rot in hell. I hope you get what you deserve. And the truth is, I think a lot of us love grace when it's extended to us, <laughs> but not to that guy. Maybe they deserve something far worse. Well, I got bad news for you. So do you. See, none of us deserves the grace of God. When Jesus begins to extend this grace to Zacchaeus, instead of rejoicing over the grace that was being extended, the people began to complain. Can't believe that such grace would be given to him. Give it to someone out here who deserves it. There are good people here who deserve such grace. Nobody deserves God's grace. A guy named Brennan Manning, he wrote a book entitled The Ragamuffin Gospel. In it, he tells a story of a man in church who sinned greatly. His church kicked him out. They forbid him to come back to the church. This man repented. He sought healing. And truly wanted to change. But the church would not allow him back in. So he prayed to the Lord about it. Lord, they won't let me back in because I'm a sinner. In this book, he said, the Lord replied, what are you complaining about? They won't let me in either. <laughs> the reality is, it is so easy for us as a church to look in judgment upon all kinds of people. But it is the same grace that was extended to us that will offer redemption and hope to every other individual that's out there. Listen, I'm not saying that grace trumps truth. Yes, God has freely offered his grace, but it is offered to any who will choose the truth of his son. Grace is a free gift, but the truth is you still have to repent. You can't use grace as an excuse to continue in your sin. See, God never intended to extend grace to Zacchaeus so that he would be forgiven and continue in the same sin that had dominated his life. There was the expectation that as you receive this grace, you will also live a godly life and they will come together. So you have grace and truth coming together to form one thing. You must submit your life to him for his lordship. 
You can't just say that because I believe, I can sin, and now God's grace will make up the difference. His grace does make up the difference, but it is not a license for you to continue to live in that sin. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In no way are we minimizing the truth, but neither do we want to forget about God's grace. They go hand in hand together. The same grace that was extended to you and to me is extended to anyone who will place their trust in him. Who would cause you to grumble? Are there people who have wronged you so much so that you would not be willing to celebrate over their redemption and their forgiveness? Remember that it is by God's grace that you were forgiven. Watch what happens next in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. But Zacchaeus. Ultimately, it doesn't matter who grumbles. It just matters what you do with Jesus' offer. Everybody else may be complaining. It doesn't matter. You have received a great gift. Celebrate. Rejoice. Zacchaeus was a notorious sinner, but Jesus reached out to him anyway. Those who should show him grace grumbled, but Zacchaeus' actions were louder than their words. He didn't want to talk about forgiveness. He wanted to show what it is to be redeemed. This is not his attempt to earn salvation. Rather, it is an outpouring of the change that has taken place inside of him. According to the law, when voluntary restitution was made, the law required the original amount plus one-fifth. So in other words, if you stole $100 and you had to pay it back, you paid $120 back. So it's almost like you're paying back with interest. The law required Even more than that, if an individual had stolen something in particular. Zacchaeus offers to pay back four times the amount. This is so much more than what would have been required. You're not talking about interest here. You're talking about multiplication. What it comes down to is, if you were to put an equation together, repentance plus restitution led to rejoicing in Zacchaeus' life. Those who grumble do so because they fear grace. They fear grace because they have seen it abused at times, but true repentance always includes restitution. He knew that he had taken something that probably didn't belong to him, and he's saying, I want to make it right. I'll do whatever it takes. In Christianity, we don't get to do whatever we want but we do what God desires of us. That includes accountability, and that's what we see happening here with Zacchaeus. I need you to understand today that there is no reason for us to live in fear or regret over our past, for God can set us free just as he does with this man. Last week, we talked about about a man who was physically blind, but this man, when he walked away, he could see. Today, I want you to see a man who, as he enters this equation, he is spiritually empty. 
Yet at the end of the day, this man knows what it is to be filled with the joy and the spirit of God. And it is because God has taken him from death to life. There are things he still has to do. That restitution probably didn't all take place that day. I imagine there were those who were watching who they were grumbling about this grace that was being extended to him. There were probably those who were watching who were thinking to themselves, he stole money from me. I wonder how many of them came to Zacchaeus afterwards. Zacchaeus, you stole $200 from me. You just told me you were going to pay restitution. Not only for the amount that is owed, but four times the amount. So you owe me 800 bucks. I wonder how many people came calling. This wasn't a one-time thing where he made a decision and then it was over. But from this moment forward, he is making a public declaration. I'm not the man that I used to be. I am going to be transformed and I will do whatever it takes to restore what is right. Let me suggest to you today that God desires for us to have that same mentality. Maybe it's not giving back four times the amount of money that you took from somebody else. But what it is is a real transformation that goes beyond just that moment of saying, I'm surrendered to God. Making choices that lead to different actions changing the attitude, changing the heart, everything about us is to be transformed. That's the but God movement here for Zacchaeus. Look what Jesus does. In verse 9 and 10, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. This, this is why Jesus came. He didn't come to establish some legalistic set of rules where everybody's got to pay four times whatever you stole. That's not what he came to do. He came to change every human heart. He came to make people new. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation, a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This is the story of Zacchaeus. He was lost. Now he's found. When Jesus finds you, when he calls you by name, and you choose to respond, it will change you. This doesn't have to just be a historical story of Zacchaeus. This can be the transformational story of you. You were lost, but because of what Jesus Christ did, you can now be found. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, well, we come recognizing that you are a gracious God. Sometimes we understand why you would offer grace. We look at people that we like and love, people that are just like us, and we understand why they deserve grace. But the truth is, none of us deserve it. Lord, I pray today that you would extend grace where it clearly is not deserved. 
Many times we have fallen short. Sin has dominated our lives, and maybe we've played the game, and maybe we've made it look like everything's okay on the outside. Maybe the rest of the world has looked at us, and they see us much like Zacchaeus, someone who's got it all together. But the truth is, on the inside, we are empty or broken. Father, I pray today that you would fill us with your Spirit. Forgive us where we have fallen short. And I pray that from this moment forward, we will not just live as those who have a head knowledge of salvation and grace, but I pray that you would transform our hearts, that we would see things differently, we would live differently, that everything about us would be different. Lord, I pray that you would take individuals who are lost and allow us to be found today. Give us purpose and give us meaning. I pray that you would change us in Jesus' name. Amen. I have one last thing I want to share with you, and this has to do with Zacchaeus and what he does with the transforming gift that God gave to him. Zacchaeus would never be the same. If you were to study the history of the church, Clement was the bishop of Alexandria. In one of his sermons, he mentioned Zacchaeus, who went on to become the bishop of of Caesarea, possibly appointed by Peter himself, by the grace of God, he went from being a thief to being a pastor. What could God do through you if you truly allowed him to have a but God moment in your life? Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.